And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who is in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. This is the word of the Lord. You may take a seat. Thank you, Blair. Well, clearly, uh, this passage that we're going to look at today is about prayer. And as Christians, we all know that we ought to pray. It's, it's one of those things that just comes with being a Christian. We know that we ought to read our Bibles, and we know that we ought to pray. And yet, unfortunately, if you're like me or if you're like most Christians, reading your Bible in prayer can sometimes feel like eating your vegetables and exercise. You know you ought to. You know that broccoli is really good for you, but to just break off a nice crisp head of broccoli and eat it isn't always what you thought or hoped it might be. And sometimes that's our experience with prayer. And the reason for that is many, I'm sure, but one of the reasons for that is that I think we forget sometimes exactly what we are doing when we are praying. When we pause to pray, the God of the universe, the creator of all things, the high and exalted one, the holy, holy, holy God who dwells in unapproachable light, who no one has seen or can see, uh, the one who, if we were to approach into the light of his presence, we would be destroyed, we would be blown apart. The one that Isaiah, when he was caught up to heaven and saw the king of glory, high and exalted, fell down before the throne and says, Woe is me, for I am an unclean Man, or I'm a man of unclean lips, and I dwell amongst a people with unclean lips. And it's this God who says, Come to me, speak to me, have access to my throne of grace. Make supplications. I invite you to have a relationship with me by prayer. One of the great things of the Old Testament is we, we are reminded over and over and over again just how unapproachable God is. The whole system of the tabernacle, which became the temple, and, and all of the, the gradation of ho the holy, holy place, and then the holy place, and then the clean place, and then the unclean place, and all the rites and rituals that you had to do to get yourself in the right place just so that you could approach God with your sacrifice. And now, because of Jesus Christ, he says, just come to me. Come and pray to me. Talk to me. Heaven is open. And in the Old Testament, if you said that to somebody, they'd say, what are you talking about heaven is open? I have no right to dance into the presence of God. And so we have this great privilege that we take for granted. And when we forget who God is, and we forget who we are, then prayer becomes a drudgery. 
But when we remember who God is and who we are and what God is inviting us to do, come and talk to me. Ask for anything in my name and I'll give it to you. I'll do it for you. I love you. I know your needs. I want to meet them. I know your sins. I want to forgive them. And so, yes, I know that reading your Bible and praying can be like eating broccoli and running five kilometers. But it's such a wonderful privilege that we have to pray to God. My daughter is in just finished grade one. And just recently, over the last maybe few months, we say, do you want to pray for a meal? And she's sometimes excited to pray. And so she'll say, yeah, I want to pray, I want to pray, I want to pray. And so, okay, say, let's, let's hear it. Let's, I would love for you to pray. And so we bow our head, we close our eyes, and she says, God is good. God is great. Let us thank him for our food. For by his hands we all are fed. Thank you, God, for our daily bread. You know, the first time I heard that, I was so glad. I was so thrilled, so excited. Then the next time we want to pray, I'll pray, I'll pray, I'll pray. And she said the same thing, I still love it. I love to hear my daughter prayer. And it's a prayer that she has learned. And she's saying it from memory, from rote, and I'm still so excited. I know that God loves to hear my daughter pray those words, and yet if she's 45 and still, who wants to pray? I want to pray, I want to pray, I want to pray. And if she still, if she hasn't got beyond this, if she still says the exact same words, perhaps she doesn't know what she's doing. The prayer that we're going to look at today is kind of like that. God loves to hear us pray the Lord's Prayer. That's what we call it. It's the prayer that God himself has taught us to to pray. Jesus is God, and God has taught us to pray this. And so it's good for us to just say it. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Continue and continue on. But, and as good as that is, It is important at one time or another in our life to get beyond just saying the words back to God and to understand what the words mean. Otherwise, we are in danger of falling into the same trap that I fell into with God is good, God is great. I used to say that when I was in grade one, and it wasn't until I was in grade six that I realized that when I was saying let us thank him, I wasn't thanking him for lettuce. Because I, I always thought that that's what it was, not let us, permit us, but let us, because oh, we're, we're praying before the meal. And sometimes when we just pray these prayers, we're saying the words, but we're not engaging our hearts. So this morning, what I want us to do is to remember the great privilege it is to pray, the access that God has granted us by the blood of Jesus Christ to the throne room. And then I want us to take a look at this prayer that the Lord has given to us and to go beyond the words, to get to the meaning, to get to the categories of prayer so that we can not just pray these words back to God, but to pray this prayer back to God. Let's pray now, asking him to help us. Oh, Heavenly Father, we thank you for the privilege the honor, the blessing that we do not deserve to approach you boldly by prayer. To think that even now you are receiving our prayers. Pray that you would help us to pray because we confess that sometimes prayer can become a drudgery for us. And when that happens, Lord, forgive us, have mercy. I ask that you would excite our hearts to pray to you. That you would take us beyond just knowing it's what we ought to do. And bring us as a church into that place where it's what we long to do. More than anything, we long to come to you in prayer, to commune with you by prayer, knowing that you are the living God in heaven who hears and responds. I pray that you'd help me as I help us to unpack your instructions for prayer. Glorify yourself and build up your church. In Jesus' name we pray.
Amen. This passage is stunning, as I already alluded to. In this passage, God is saying, this is how I want you to pray. Remember that Jesus is fully God with the Father. Uh, I believe it's in Luke's gospel where the, the disciples say, teach us how to pray. I don't even know how. So if, if you're struggling with prayer, don't feel too bad. Uh, the men who walked around with Jesus finally gained up the courage to say, I, I see you praying, Jesus, but I don't really know what you're doing or how to do it. Could you help me? And so to them, he, he gave them the same pattern as he gives to the audience here on the Sermon on the Mount. Now in the Sermon on the Mount, he prefaces his instructions for prayer with what we ought not to do by prayer. And I think that's helpful. So, so for the remaining time that we have, I want us to look at three things that we should not do when we approach God by prayer and eight things that we ought to do when we approach God in prayer. So first things first, what ought we not do? This is really helpful. God hates it when we pray like this. You just think of it that way. If, if, if we pray like this, then God just doesn't even like it. He says, I don't even want to answer you. I don't want to hear it. I hate it when you do that. So what are those things that God hates about prayer? The first thing that God does not want us to do in prayer is he does not want us to use prayer to make ourselves look spiritual. This is a real temptation. If, if there's ever more than just you and God when you're praying, the temptation is always there that you're going to use your prayer to make yourself look more spiritual or spiritual at all to those who might be listening in uh, this is a danger from the front it's a danger when i pray before my sermons they can become routine that's one danger the other danger is look at me pray i have to always be careful do i mean the things that i'm saying am i actually talking to god or am, or am i pretending to talk to god but i'm just talking to you and doesn't that happen when we're gathered together to pray together uh, who are we most concerned about when we pray? Or what, what might even inhibit us from talking to God in the presence of others? It might be, well, I'm not sure that the people will think that I'm spiritual enough. People might not think that I'm using the right words. But if really prayer is us talking to God, either alone or in a group, what God doesn't want us to do is to use our words to make ourselves look better than we are. Look at verses 5 and 6 of Matthew 6. When you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites. We, know, we don't want to be a hypocrite. A hypocrite is somebody, somebody who says and does one thing when really they're the exact opposite. They love to pray, uh, to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room, shut the door, and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. A little context is important. Jesus is not saying don't ever pray in front of other people because Jesus himself prays in front of other people. But what he is saying, if you are praying in front of other people, pray as if you're alone in your room. Pray as if there is nobody else. One thing that pastors have to be especially difficult uh, or, or careful with is that we don't preach a sermon and then pray a sermon. And, and, but we could all fall into that trap. Don't, don't try to convert your unbelieving family and friends uh, while they're listening to you pray to God. At least, if you're praying for their salvation, make sure that's what you're truly asking God for and you're not preaching a sermon to them. When we pray, we must not be like the hypocrites praying just because other people are listening to make ourselves feel or seem more spiritual. Number two, what God does not want us to do by prayer is he does not want us to try to control him. Do you know what magic is? And I'm not, not talking about David Copperfield illusion. I'm talking about true magic. Magic is when you do something on earth and by doing whatever it is that you do, whatever ritual, whatever words you say, whatever enchantment you utter, and by it you expect that you'll be able to control the spiritual realm. So we compel the gods or the spirits, the demons, to obey us by the things that we say and do. That's magic. 
God hates magic because he's not a God that can be controlled. He is the sovereign God of the universe who does no one's bidding but his own. He wants us to conform ourselves to him. He, he will not put up with us trying to get him to conform himself to us. And I really believe that's what verses 7 and 8 are all about. When you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. So the, the Gentiles use many words because they think that by doing that, they will compel their pagan gods to act in their favor, to do what they want. God says, you can't do that. There's, not, there's no magic formula. It's not as if you pray more words and I'm more prone to do what you want. Now, there is a, a, a teaching about persistent prayer, which we're going to get into uh, later in the summer. But this is about trying to lock God into your will by the words that you say. So if you just say it enough, you say it more, more convincingly, then God will be compelled to act in your favor. When we go to pray to God, we must have a humble posture before the Lord. God, I come to you not as your master, but as your servant. Number three, what God hates about uh, prayer and will not receive is if we pray while still holding a grudge against another, locking them in unforgiveness in our hearts. Go down to verses 14 and 15. If you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. When you go to God and say, God, please forgive me for my sin, He is glad to do so unless you are unwilling to forgive others who have sinned against you. We're going to get into that in the Lord's Prayer. So, when you go to God in prayer, it's always a good idea to ask yourself, who am I refusing to forgive? So those are the three things. Number one, don't use prayer to make yourself look more spiritual than you are, or to look spiritual at all. Number two, do not use prayer to try to control God. Number three, do not seek forgiveness from God if you are unwilling to forgive others. So that's what God doesn't want in prayer. Now let's take a look at what God does want in prayer. And this is the Lord's Prayer. I'm going to break this down into eight parts. So when I do this, it's not as if every one of our prayers needs to contain all eight of these categories. But what Jesus is doing, he's saying, if you want a, a fully balanced prayer life, if you want a prayer that is full and rich, a prayer that God loves. Every one of these things God loves to hear, Jesus says. And so over the course of your prayer life, so just think about it, over the course of a week, over the course of a month, over the course of a year, uh, is your prayer life relatively balanced in these eight areas? Number one, when we pray, we ought to exalt God. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. It's kind of old English. What this basically means is, I want to remind myself by praying to you, God, that you are holy. What is holiness? Uh, one, one way of understanding holiness is that God is completely other. There's no one like him. He is unique. He is the sovereign God of the universe, and he has no rivals that equal him. And God loves to hear that from us when we recognize that. Holiness is, is a, an adjective that it really describes who God is. And so you can just say whatever is true about God and you will be filling this category. To say that God is holy is a way of saying that everything that can be said about God is said about God. And so you could just say, well, God, you are sovereign. God, you are, you are loving. God, you are a good provider. God, you are eternal. God, you are three in one. God, uh, you are transcendent. What does that mean? Uh, you are so above us that nobody has ever seen the fullness of your glory. That's what it means when, when we say in heaven. He's in heaven. We don't see him. He's above us. 
We are affirming that no one has ever fully gazed on God the Father except for God the Son and God the Spirit. But then the beginning is very interesting too. Even though he is this transcendent, awesome God who's unapproachable and unseeable, he's also our Father. And that talks about his imminence. He, he cares about the, the details of our lives like a father. And so uh, while we exalt the bigness of God, we can also exalt the smallness of God. God, you know the, the hairs on my head, which aren't many. God, you know the days of my life. God, you care about what I had for breakfast. God, you, you, you have given me shoes to wear. Little things. God, you, you care to, to bring this, the sun and the, and the rain onto my land. He is the transcendent, awesome, big God, and He is the God of small things. And God loves it when we remind Him of these things, not as if He's forgotten. Because all of these things exalt God. How much of our prayer life is just telling God what we know about Him? Number two, God loves when by prayer we swear loyalty to King Jesus. Verse 10, your kingdom come. Your kingdom come. This is the great anecdote to worldliness. And we live in a society that is drowning in worldliness. If you prayed, your kingdom come. Then when you go out into the world and you care about such uh, banality as how the Maple Leafs are doing or how the Blue Jays are doing or even how the stock market is doing, Compared to the coming kingdom of God, those things are meaningless. It's not that you can't follow the Blue Jays. It's not that you can't go and have fun um, at a Maple Leaf game. There's all kinds of things that we're permitted to do, but when you put these things in comparison with the fact that there's a kingdom coming in the fullness of righteousness, where God will display the fullness of His glory in Christ Jesus, and we will gaze on the Father face to face. Oh, man, everything else just fades away. Uh, the television just maybe doesn't need to be turned on as much. The things that bothered you so much yesterday don't bother you so much today. We are drowning in, in meaningless banality in our culture. And it's, we're not immune to it because we're in the church. And so this prayer, oh, Jesus, you are a great sovereign king. And we pray, come. Come. I'm done with this world. If you were to come today, there's nothing that I need to do more than, than to find myself in your established kingdom. See, this prayer has a way of changing our priorities and our perspective. Swearing loyalty to Jesus. Jesus, you're my king. Help me to be obedient to you. And that just transitions into the third thing. So two and three go together. As we're reminding ourselves of the kingdom, as we're swearing allegiance to the king of that kingdom, Jesus Christ, then we say, oh God, help me to align my will to your will. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now this uh, plays out in a number of ways. Currently, today, Christ reigns in our lives and in our church and over this world through the church. So we can pray, Lord, help me to help my will to be aligned with your will today. Now how many of our prayers go the exact opposite direction? God, I have a will, and I want your will to be my will. I want you to conform yourself to me. That's exactly backwards. But if we were to go to the king of the universe and say, okay, king, I know that you have a perfect will, and mine is you know, not so trustworthy day to day. But would you give me the desires of your heart would you make my will so that it's the same as your will? You'll do it. Would you align the will of this church to be the same as the will of our Father in heaven? 
That's one level for this prayer. The other level is when King Jesus returns and the kingdom is no longer in our lives by the Spirit, in, in the world, through the church, but when it is manifested uh, from the King on Mount Zion in all power, we're also saying that, Lord, bring your kingdom down in its fullness and reign. Enforce your will. Make it happen. Transform us from the inside out to help us to throw off the sinful tendencies of our flesh so that we can truly walk without the hindrances of sinful desires. May the nations bow before your throne. So there's this eschatological or this end times, this future part to this prayer. So it's a now and already, but a not yet. Your kingdom come now and in the future. Your will be done now and in the future. May earth be just like heaven where no one rebels against you and you cannot find one who hates you or your will. Now that's a good prayer. Number four. This is where we spend most of our time in prayer. Uh, God does love it when we make supplications and intercessions. That is when we go ask Him for things. But how unbalanced is our prayer life? My, my prayer life is unbalanced. Most of my time is spent in this category. It's an important category, but just one of eight. Give us this day our daily bread. Now look at how simple that is. I don't know how many of us are asking for daily bread truly. Paul says if we have food and clothing, we will be content with these. Oh, that, that is a hard verse. But God loves us to come with him, to Him with every concern of our heart. You can go to Him with anything. It can be a material need, such as daily bread, provision. It can be an emotional need. Lord, help me in this whatever emotional instability or difficulty that you're going through. It can be a spiritual need. Lord, I, I know that man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Lord, help me to, to, to desire this book. Help me to understand this book. Help, help me to live out this book. It's a good prayer. You can pray for health for yourself and for others. But I hope that we're not just praying for hip replacements over and over and over again. Colds and sniffles. Even cancer. It's good to pray for those things. But let us not miss the other things. And, and so if somebody is going through a particular difficulty health-wise, pray for their healing, but also pray for their endurance. It might be the very thing that God wants for them. If we go back to item uh, number three, right? Your will be done. Align my will. Align the will of this person with your will. Maybe you're taking them through this valley so that you can make them ready to receive the crown of glory that you're going to put on their heads. So pray for healing, yes, but also pray for endurance. Pray that, that God's will, will will be worked out in their life. So God, pray for anything and everything. That's what this category is all about. Make supplications and intercessions. Number five, confess sin. You know what I love about the Lord's Prayer? There's a lot of things, but I, I especially love this. If, I was, if, if somebody came to me and says, okay, uh, give me the perfect prayer, I might start with item number five. Confess sin. Get yourself right with God. Right, that's how I might do it. That's not what Jesus does. He tucks it into placement number five. It's important. But it's not the be-all and the end-all. You know, God is so loving. God is so full of grace. He says, oh, we'll get to that. Now, of course, you have to. You have to have come to God the first time and said, God, I'm a, I am a sinner and I need your salvation. Right? Because this prayer is for believers people who have already been made right with God through the blood of Jesus Christ. And so 
we've been made clean. Yeah, we're going to walk through life and get our feet dirty, and that's why Jesus says we need to wash one another's feet. We need to go back to him and get our feet washed. That's really what that means, right? That we're, we, are, we have been cleansed from sin, and then we continue to walk in sin. We need to clean our feet, which is done through confession of sin. But he says, look, you can exalt me with dirty feet. You can swear loyalty to me with dirty feet. You can even pray for yourself and others with dirty feet because that's how full of grace I am for you. But don't forget to keep short accounts. Come back. Bring your sin before my throne that I may cover you again with the blood of Jesus Christ. So yeah, confession of sin is important. It's in the perfect prayer. But God is big and full of grace. And then number six is very closely related. And uh, as we also have forgiven our debtors, this is a presumed fact. So you may need to ask God for help if you are struggling to forgive others. What I hope we will never do as a church is just do what, what we might do with our children. Okay, Johnny, hit Susie. Johnny, Susie, come here. Johnny, say you're sorry to your sister. I'm sorry. Susie, say, that's okay, I forgive you. I forgive you. Okay, hug. Okay, we're done. Now, that is important when you're parenting toddlers. That is important when you're parenting young children. But if you're still doing that when they're teenagers, you haven't really taught them about confession and forgiveness. Because there's no true confession there. There's no true forgiveness. You're giving them a pattern, a mold, that hopefully they will grow into and they will fill that pattern with meaning. So I'm not against that for toddlers and young children. I am against that for teenagers and grown men and women. Likewise, in the church, baby Christians, okay, we're going to walk you through the process of seeking forgiveness from one another. We're going to walk you through the process of extending forgiveness. But I, what I never want us to be is a church filled with fake transactions of grace. So if you need some time before you can earnestly, authentically, truly forgive your brother or sister from your heart, you better take the time. And you say, it is my desire and inclination to forgive you because I know the pattern. I know the mold. I just am not there and I'm going to need some time. Take the time. But then you go to God and you say, oh God, you have forgiven me so much. And I am struggling to forgive this what person, my brother or sister, over so little, relatively. Could you help me? And then when you truly can go and say, I forgive you, that's when you make the transaction of grace. It's really important. Let's not pretend. Number eight, seven. Lead us not into temptation. We must seek protection from our own selfish, sinful flesh. Uh, we've been saved. We desire righteousness and holiness, but we also have the freedom to indulge our desire for sin. And sin is still delicious, even though it is poison and we know it. And so in prayer, we're, we all have different weaknesses. By prayer, we go and say, God, please help me in my area of weakness. So this is a, a going to God and, and it's saying, help me with uh, my areas of weakness from the inside, within my flesh. Help me to align my life with my heart's desire, which is perfect holiness. And then the last and eighth category of good and perfect prayer is like this. Deliver us from evil or the evil one. So, so we have to ask for God to help us 
protect us from ourselves, that's internal, but we also want to ask God to protect us from external threats, which is the demonic world, chief among the demons is the devil, who wants to tempt us and entice us to act on our sinful desires which reside in our flesh. So God, protect me from myself and protect me from demonic oppression, demonic enticement, the evil one. We are children of God, and so he will say, yes, no demon, not even the prince of the demons, uh, uh, the God of this age has any right to you. And so Satan and all your demonic horde, hands off. So we pray that, and God will answer our prayer. This is a full and perfect prayer. Eight things. Exalt God. Swear loyalty to King Jesus. Align your will with God's will. Make supplications and intercessions for yourself and for others. Confess your sin. Ask God for help to forgive others when they sin against you. Seek protection against yourself at your own sinful flesh and seek protection from the devil. Over the course of your prayer life, go into the throne room of God with these things on your lips. God will answer your prayer because he's asked us to pray these things. I'm not going to ask us to pray this by rote. It would fit, right? It would seem to fit. Rather, I'm going to pray the Lord's Prayer with different words, and I encourage you to pray along. Let's pray. Oh God, we exalt you. You are high and lifted up. There is no one like you. There is no God but you. You have done things that no one else can do. You have created the universe. You are sustaining all things that you have made, and you have saved for yourself a people from every tribe and language and nation. We will be priests in, king, in, in a kingdom of our God. We swear loyalty to one king, and that is Jesus. The lion and the lamb. We pray, align our will with your will. That you would reign in our lives by your spirit in the power of your grace and in this church and in the world through your church. And King Jesus, we pray, come back. Bring all things to their consummated end. I pray now for this church, each one of us according to our need. We know you are a perfect God who delights to meet all need. We have sinned this day and this week. Our feet are dirty. Wash our feet. Cleanse us of all unrighteousness. And I pray, Lord, if there's anyone here who is struggling to forgive someone for a sin that has been committed against them, would you remind them of the depth of the forgiveness that we have received and give them a true and earnest ability to extend grace, mercy, and forgiveness to the one who has hurt them. Protect us from ourselves and our own sinful desires. Each one of us has different areas of vulnerability and weakness. God, strengthen us where we are weak. Help us to walk in victory by the power of your grace. Lord, would Satan and his demonic army have no place in this church, no place in our homes, no place in our lives. Protect us. Send angels to guard our property and walk before us because we belong to you. I pray all of these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.